Hey, good morning, faith family. If you have your Bible, would you turn to Psalm 116? I want to say hello to those in our live venue as well. Turning your Bibles to Psalm 116. That's where we're going to be in just a moment. A couple of very quick uh, announcements. Just to piggyback on what's already been said about this afternoon, encourage you to be a part of our faith family celebration. Even if you're not going to be a part of our Lakeville launch, it's still important if you're a part of this faith family to be a part of that as we pray over and commission uh, that campus and uh, just an important thing to be a part of. And then we'll, uh, we'll go over for the baptisms and just a great night at Antlers Park tonight, just uh, hanging out, eating food, uh, just enjoying the company and fellowship of one another. So a uh, big evening. Uh, if you can be a part of that, that'd be great. Secondly, I want to introduce the speaker next weekend because it's not going to be me. Uh, I'm actually going to be out next weekend taking just a quick inhale before the, all the fall starts and the things that we've got coming up this fall. Spend a little bit of time with the kids before they start back school. Like really, is school like seriously just a few weeks away? Um, so I'll be out next weekend, but you don't skip center. Don't skip, all right? Uh, I've got one of my good friends coming in, uh, Pastor Greg Gibson. Here's a picture of him and his family. Uh, Just a godly man who uh, the Lord is using in great ways. And God has actually called uh, Greg to plant a church in Washington, D.C. Now, I can't imagine that there's any ministry needs in Washington, D.C., but hypothetically, you might just imagine that's a ministry field. And so uh, uh, Greg will be uh, planting that church here in the next uh, few weeks. So he had a little bit of a gap in his schedule. And so I said, hey, great, come on in. I want to introduce you to our faith family and them to you. And uh, I can't wait for you to hear what God has placed on his heart. So please be here uh, next weekend as Greg will, Pastor Greg will come and, and, uh, and speak to you. Okay, we ready for Psalm 116? You say that now, wait till we get into it, all right? Uh, if you're visiting with us, maybe this, you're, you're new or, or maybe this is the first time or the first time in a while, the last several weeks for this summer, we've been going through the Psalms in a series that we've called Mixtape, Songs for Every Season of Life. And we've just tried to kind of look at some Psalms in the Scriptures that really deal with the things we go through in our lives, the, the common experiences that we all face, and what does God's Word have to say? God has given us songs to sing and know in those seasons. And so uh, this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 116 and what can be a difficult topic, but yet it's something we all relate to. And so let's look at what God's Word has to say. If you can stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Uh, Let's look at Psalm 116, verse 1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I I suffered distress and anguish. And then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Now look at verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you that you have given us songs for every season of life. It has been such a joy uh, these last several weeks to go through these psalms and to see how practical they are, to see how your word speaks to daily life. It is so practical, it's so real, it invites us to be real about what we face, the emotions of life, the difficulties that we go through. So Holy Spirit, come and meet us this morning as we look at Psalm 116. We need this song. And I ask it in Jesus' name for his glory and God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. He was absolutely obsessed with it. In fact, even at the age of 12, it's all he thought about. It's all he wanted to talk about. The very reality of it even changed the whole way he viewed his life. And it's why at 12, he dressed in black. The 12-year-old that I'm talking about's name was Sigmund, uh, Siggy for short. Uh, he's actually one of the main characters in that classic comedy, What About Bob? Any What About Bob fans? He's the son of a psychiatrist. He's actually named after Sigmund Freud. He's the son of a psychiatrist, and he's trying to come to grips with his own mortality. He talks to his dad. He even talks to Bob. And then finally, he's laying in bed one night, and it all comes together. It finally hits him. He's going to die. Bob? Yeah? Are you afraid of death? Yeah. Me too. And there's no way out of it. You're going to die. I'm going to die. It's going to happen. What difference does it make if it's tomorrow or 80 years? Much sooner in your case. Do you know how fast time goes? I was six, like yesterday. Me too. I'm going to die. You are going to die. What else is there to be afraid of? I'm going to die. You are going to die. And there's nothing we can do about it. That, that was unsettling for 12-year-old Siggy. And let's be honest, it's a little unsettling for us. I mean, you're almost feeling like, what a downer of a sermon. Like, really, do I want to be here today? But can I ask you this? Why, why, is it, right, why is it that nobody wants to talk about the reality of death, and yet we all know the reality of death? In fact, for the last several weeks, we've actually had some pretty mature conversations of just saying, hey, this is what reality is. Can we be honest enough to talk about it? Could we actually come here like to a church among the people of God, and could we have an honest conversation about a reality of life? You and I need to have this conversation about death, and here's why. Because death is a biblical reality. 
In other words, from beginning to end in the Bible, the Bible is constantly talking about the reality of death. In fact, the Bible starts in Eden, and by Genesis chapter 2, if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. And then you jump all the way to Revelation chapter 21 of what I call the death of death, and it says death, hallelujah, will be no more. And every tear and all that pain will be wiped away. So the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible, and just read everything in between, there's a whole lot of death. Number two, death is a personal reality. This is why we need to face this this morning. How many of you, show of hands, has ever lost a loved one, someone really close to you? Hold them up for just a moment and keep them. Almost every hand in the room, a grandparent, a parent, a a child, a spouse, a friend, someone that you've loved. And people do, people do a lot of different things to try to find peace in the midst of personal loss. I shared with you, I think it was Easter, about one family that decorated the entire funeral home to be like a Steelers football game just to feel peace in the midst of personal loss. I've shared with you about the lady who bought a Tasmanian devil cookie jar to put her remains in just to give her some peace in the face of death. And then I found one that topped those. Uh, Back in June, I was uh, back in my hometown in Tennessee. My mother's going to be horrified that I shared this. On the front page, I can't even make this up. On the front page of my hometown newspaper was there was a man who had passed and the way that his wife expressed peace in that situation of personal loss is she put his casket on the back of a bass boat and hauled him off to the graveyard. You know, in fact, I've got a picture of it to prove that I'm not making this up, all right? Now listen, if you've ever put your husband on the back of a bass boat for his graveside, you might be a redneck, all right? Let's just throw that out there. But people do all kinds of things, don't they, to try to find peace in the face of personal loss. I, was, I noticed a CNN article that uh, uh, had a quote from Patton Oswalt, a comedian, his Facebook page, because recently he lost his wife at age 46. And here's what uh, he wrote, quote, I'm going to start telling jokes again soon and acting and stuff and making things that I like and working with my friends on projects and doing all the stuff that I've always felt so privileged to do before. Listen, before the air caught fire around me and the sun died. It's all I knew how to do before I met Michelle. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do now without her. Now, we got to talk about this because this is a personal reality. The third reason is because it's a physical reality. Anybody here today dealing with aging? You'll get that later, all right? Anybody here dealing with aging? Your body's changing. You're having to deal, like with Siggy, with your own mortality. Time Magazine had an article, Can We Learn to Beat the Grim Reaper? And here's what the article said, quote, Give the human body half a chance, and before you know it, it tries to die. If it's not cancer, it's heart disease. If it's not heart disease, it's a stroke. With all the ways the body can do itself in, you'd almost think it wants to end it all. The fact is, it does. If science cured every known disease of the elderly, you would only add 15 years to the current life expectancy. We've got to talk about this. You personally will deal with this. 
and are dealing with this. Number four is death is a daily reality in the sense that I just want to say, man, we, are we not bombarded all the time now with the constant reminder of death on a daily basis? And we are actually around more than we realize the reality of death even over us. And yet it is but God's providence that we are protected each and every day. And lastly, we need to talk about this because death is an eternal reality The Bible says it is appointed for man to what? Die, and after that face what? Judgment. How you live right now, the decisions you make right now, has everything to do with your eternity. So let's have a mature conversation. Let's get to the bottom of the truth behind death. And I am so thankful that the Lord has given us a psalm for that. A psalm when you're in the hospital room. A psalm when you're at the graveside. A psalm when you're in the nursing home. A song in the face of death. Listen, you will not have a complete mixtape if on that tape you do not have a song that prepares you for death. Psalm 116. Notice how the psalm starts with a struggle The psalmist here is in a desperate situation. Look at verse 1. I love the Lord because he heard my voice and underline this, my pleas for mercy. This psalmist is crying out. This psalmist is pleading to God. Verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, underline, deliver my soul, exclamation mark. This psalmist is in a desperate situation. This psalmist is in anguish and agony and despair. Why? Verse 3. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. In other words, the psalmist here feels like death is right at the door. That death is here. That this is it. And that's why he is crying out. He's pleading for mercy to God because he thinks he's going to die. Have you ever been there in that moment when you got that report? I mean, what a powerful testimony Pastor Terry shared about going through that season where he felt like that death could be right there. He didn't know. And and it almost feels like it cuts the air, the oxygen out of your lungs. This psalmist is pleading, is crying out because he thinks death has come for him. Now, this must mean then that he's a weak Christian, right? Because real Christians are strong. We don't struggle. We don't deal with anguish or distress or anxiety. That's only for the weak Christians. We'll tell that to David, who in Psalm 18 says very similar things when he says, The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol, which by the way is just the place of the dead, entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. And notice this, in my distress. Anybody ever been in distress? I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. You say, oh, no, no, this is just for the weak Christian. Christians don't struggle and have anguish and distress. We'll tell that to the Apostle Paul. 
The Apostle Paul is like super Christian in so many of our minds. Like he wears a cape. He's so strong. And yet, listen. Oh, this is so helpful. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Hear this. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Wow. Like, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, that makes you sit up in your seat and say, wow, you mean the Apostle Paul was despairing of life itself? Why? Next phrase, indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Now, what's my point in all this? I mean, there are some of you here today that need this. The reason is because last night and after first service, I've had people either text me or come to me in tears saying, you don't know how much I needed that. Some of you are here today and, and you're still dealing with the loss of a loved one. Some of you, that's very, very recent and tender and raw on your heart right now. What is this struggle that we see in Psalm 116 mean for us? It means this. It's okay to be honest with your struggle about death. It's okay to be honest about your... It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're somehow a secondary Christian. Hello, the psalmist of Psalm 116, David in Psalm 18, Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. These are men who believed God, men who had faith in God, men whose hope was in God, and yet they struggled. Is that freeing to anybody? And here's why I say that, because I, I have, as a pastor, I have counseled a lot of families in, in funerals and in death of loved ones. And do you know how many families I have dealt with that have just said, I feel like brokenness is a sign of weakness. I just feel like if I were really honest about my pain, if I really cried out, if I really expressed all the things I'm feeling, I would feel like I'm weak. Take courage from Psalm 116. You're not weak. You're just real. Because the struggle of death is a real struggle. And we have some Christians who will say, oh, no, 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 you just quote your Bible verse and suck it up. After all, she's in a better place. And I know that, but that doesn't necessarily help me completely to deal with how I'm grieving, amen? I mean, yes, she's in a better place, and I'm thankful for that, but I'm hurting. And I feel like the oxygen's been cut off. But not only do we hear that from the Christian community, let me take a moment and address another worldview that's out there that you're going to hear as you live out your faith in this world. It comes from what we would call naturalism. Uh, even from naturalism is the idea of atheism. Fo follow me. It's that nature is all there is. There is no supernatural. It's just nature. And since nature is all there is, since the physical realm is all there is, death is simply the reality of the cycle of life. It is, listen, listen, it is natural. And so stop your crying. Stop your grieving. Quit your whining. 
Because death is simply a natural part of the cycle of life. Now, if you think I'm misquoting that worldview, then just listen to famous atheist Richard Dawkins and how he describes death. Listen closely. We are going to die, and that makes us the lucky ones. Most people are never going to die because they're never going to be born. The potential people who could have been here in my place, but who will in fact never see the light of day, outnumber the sand grains of Sahara. Certainly those unborn ghosts include greater poets than Keats, scientists greater than Newton. We know this because the set of possible people allowed by our DNA so massively outnumbers the set of actual people. In the teeth of these stupefying odds, it is you and I in our ordinariness that are here. We privileged few who won the lottery of birth against all odds. How dare we whine at our inevitable return to that prior state from which the vast majority have never stirred. Did, did you hear that worldview? I want to equip you and prepare you for what you will hear in the world when you face death. Did you hear the worldview. Let me quote the last line again. Because we won the lottery of birth, you're only here because of random chance, is what he's saying. Because we won the lottery of birth, you got the lucky ticket. How dare we whine at the inevitable return to the prior state which the vast majority have never stirred. What is that worldview? Death is natural, so accept it. I'm so thankful that the Bible gives us better news than that. I'm so thankful this morning that the Bible frees us to actually struggle with the reality of death because we know that death is not natural. This is not how God created it to be. And if this is not how God created it to be, then it is perfectly right to distress and anguish the reality of it. It is precisely what Jesus does in John 11. Lazarus has died. The Bible says that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, they're crying over the death of Lazarus. He's deeply moved in his spirit. He's greatly troubled. The idea there is almost a righteous anger. And Jesus said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how much he loved him. Right here, faith family. Jesus, this is what has always struck me odd. And, and I, I've said this probably before, is that Jesus weeps over the death of Lazarus, knowing he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Does that strike you as odd? I mean, if anybody would say, quit your whining, you bunch of sissies, don't you know who I am? I'm about to raise him from the dead. There's nothing to cry about. Is that what Jesus does? No, Jesus weeps himself. Jesus is righteously angry himself at death because it's not how it's supposed to be. And then Jesus gives you a foretaste of what's coming. Hey, Lazarus. Come forth. You got to be free to be real. 
I'm so thankful for the beginning of this psalm where the psalmist just said, I pled for mercy. I prayed, exclamation mark, for deliverance of my soul. I was in distress and anguish because death was knocking at my door. But not only does this psalm tell us that we can be free in our struggle of death, and I hope some of you will be free of that even today, but then the psalmist goes on and points us to where we have security, listen, even in our struggle of deliverance. Let me say that again. We have security even in our struggle of deliverance. Verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous Our God is merciful. Anybody want to just like say amen to that? Like what an understatement of the universe that God is merciful. He preserves the simple. When I was brought low, that is, I was at the point of death, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now underline verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. So the flow of the psalm is this. Are you tracking? The psalm starts with a struggle about death, but then experiences deliverance from death. And so the psalmist here experiences, in this case, now let's be honest, in this case, the psalmist actually is freed from death itself. Translation, he doesn't die. God rescues him, delivers him from that. And some of you have walked through that, haven't you? You've got that medical report, but God saved you from the cancer. He healed you of the cancer. He healed you of the illness. You you, uh, were healthy again, and you experienced God's deliverance from death. But is that how God always does it? No. In fact, there's another side of this deliverance that we see. Do you remember earlier when I read the verses about Paul being so burdened and so distressed that he was struggling even with the reality of life? Do you remember that? Say yes, it was just a few minutes ago. You should remember that, all right? Well, here's the verses that come right after that, right? So Paul says, I'm utterly burdened beyond our strength to the point I despaired life itself. And then here's what he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, get this, but on God who raises the dead. He delivers us, hang with me, from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Right here, occasionally I invite you into my brain, which I always tell you is a scary place and don't stay long. But when I read that, here's what I'm thinking. But Paul didn't die. Paul was burdened to the point he felt like he'd been given a sentence of death where he despairs life itself. And what did he have to do? Not rely on himself, but the one who raises the dead, but he didn't die. Are you tracking with me? Why are you putting your trust in the one who raises the dead if you didn't die? Because Paul knows this. If God doesn't deliver me from death, he'll deliver me through death. Because he's the one that raises the dead. 
He will deliver us, or he has delivered us, and he what? Will deliver us again. Isn't that a point where so that it, God may heal me from the cancer, or God may heal me through the cancer, through death? God may raise me, he may deliver me out of the illness, or through the illness, he may raise me up in Christ. Either way, I'm delivered. <laughs> Either way, I'm de I despair, I'm in anguish, I hate it, I hate like with a righteous anger, death. But I'm secure. Do you feel that? Do you feel that this morning? I'm secure that even if he doesn't save me from this, he will save me through this. He is the one that raises the dead. Man, this is, this is why you need this song. I, I'm preaching this this morning um, because at the funeral you'll need it. I'm preaching this this morning because when you're at the doctor's office and you get the report of your spouse, you will need it that you can be free to grieve and be in anguish, but secure in the fact that the merciful, righteous, gracious God delivers one way or the other. Amen? This is the hope of the gospel, and this is why Paul, uh, this is such a tension for me, why Paul is able to say on one hand, I was like to the point of despairing life itself, and on the other hand, he talks about death in just an amazing way. So, so, so keep this in tension. Uh, I felt the sentence of death to the point I despaired life itself, and then he can say to Timothy, Hey, the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award me on that day. And all I got to say is just take that, Michael Phelps. All right? That, I don't give a hoot about your 20-something gold medals. All right? That's awesome. Way to go, Michael Phelps. But we got a crown of righteousness waiting for us in Glory. Do you see Paul is able to say that idea of departure, by the way, it's the idea of like the cords being cut off of a ship as it's, as it's sailing out to sea. And so, man, this is clear in my mind, and I hope it comes out of my mouth with clarity. Here's the beauty of what we're talking about is Paul is able, even like the psalmist in Psalm 116, to say, on one hand, I can be real and honest and despairing, and on the other hand, so secure that I am convinced that there is a greater glory coming for me that I do not have to fear. Paul is able to say to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's able to tell the Corinthians in uh, 2 Corinthians, we're always of good courage. <laughs> You're always of good courage, but you were despairing, I know. There's an anguish over death, but there is a good courage of what comes after death. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Yes, we are of good courage. Why? Because we'd rather be away from the body, departure, and at home with the Lord. Despair, distress, but hope and security beyond this life. You need that. You got to have that song on your mixed tape. Well, why is this even a reality? Why is this even a reality that we can 
struggle with death, but at the same time be absolutely secure of deliverance either from or through death. It's because of the sacrifice for death. The sacrifice for death. Look at verse 15 of Psalm 116. I think this, by the way, is maybe aside from Psalm 23, the most quoted verse in the Psalms at a funeral. Okay? Uh, It's Psalm 116, verse 15. My guess is you've heard it before. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But here's the problem. We have a problem. The Hebrew word, which does mean precious, um, doesn't mean precious the way we mean it in English. All right? Like, my precious. Right? Or, you know, it's like... Oh, look at the pictures of my grandchildren. Aren't they so precious? And look at that puppy. It's so precious, right? That's not, that's not what the Hebrew means. It means precious, but not precious the way we mean precious. It means costly. Costly. Precious in the sense of valuable. The psalmist is talking about a costly death. And that is foreshadowing, not just of the death of the saints, but the death of God's Son. In fact, if you would allow me 30 seconds, can I have 30 seconds to just do something technical? Can I just connect some dots so that you know, like, it's not, here we go about Jesus again, right? Always forcing the text to say something about Jesus. I want to show you two technical things in the text, and then we'll come back to the big point, and I'll get real excited and jump off the stage. All right, can we do that? Here's the technical part. How do I know that the precious, the costly death referred to in verse 15 is actually foreshadowing the death, not of God's saints, but the death of God's Son? Because of two clues in the text. Look at verse 10. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly Afflicted. Now, that does not seem like much to us at all unless you know where that gets quoted in the New Testament. Listen, for instance, you'll see it on the screen, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. Just listen. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. Now, check your margins when you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The margin will reference, guess what? Psalm 116. And then Paul goes on to say this, referencing Psalm 116, this, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. What's the point? Am I stretching this text? No. Paul quotes Psalm 116 in the context of what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wait, there's more. I told you there's a couple dots. Here's the next dot. Notice in verse 3, the pangs of Sheol, the pangs of death. And then in verse 16, um, it says, you have, this is the last phrase, you have loose my bonds. Right? You got that imagery in your mind? Now listen to Acts chapter 2. I just, I love this. This Jesus, 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So there's the death of Christ. God raised him up. You're kidding me. Loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What is the New Testament referring to Psalm 16 in the context of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What is this precious, costly death? It is the death of God's Son. Psalm 16 is not the only psalm, psalmist of, of an individual who's going to face the snares of death that is surrounding him. This is not the only man who will feel the pangs of Sheol lay hold of him. This is not the only one who will suffer great distress and anguish in the face of death. This psalmist is not the only one who will cry out to God for deliverance, but praise God, he did not deliver his son from death. He delivered his son through death so that you and I don't ever have to fear death. The sacrifice for death has been offered once and for all so we can struggle, but let nothing take our security away. We will rise again. Why? Because he is risen. The death of death has been defeated by the cross. As the writer of Hebrews will say, through death, he destroyed the one that has the power of death. It is the devil to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Hallelujah this morning that God has given us a song. A song to sing in the face of death. You have not won. Donald Barnhouse, who was a Presbyterian minister in Philly, was driving home after the death of his wife. They just had the funeral and his youngest son is seated in the passenger seat and just is weeping and the loss of his mom and Barnhouse looks at him wanting to offer him comfort and he says um, son do you see the truck that's headed our direction would you rather be hit by that truck or would you rather be hit by the shadow of that truck and the little boy said what I'd much rather be hit by the shadow of that truck. And Barnhouse looked at his son and he said, Jesus was hit by the truck of death so that your mother would only have to go through the shadow of death. That's the good news of the gospel. You will walk through the shadow of death and you will grieve and you will experience anguish and you will cry out. But because of Jesus Christ, you can be absolutely certain that because you've died in Him, you will live in Him forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Death has been defeated in Jesus. So hear me this morning. You need to think about death. You need to think about it. You need to have a conversation about it. You need to have a song about it because death is a biblical reality.
And there's a whole lot of junk and a whole lot of lies out there about death. And you need the truth of God's Word in the face of death. You need to talk about this because it's a personal reality. You, you need right comfort. You need real hope. And that can only be found in the truth of God's Word. And listen, you need to talk about this. You need to think about this because it's a daily and an eternal reality. So are you ready? Are you ready? Are you prepared to face death? You're only ready to face death if you know the one who conquered death. That's the only way you get through to victory. And so I would invite you, I would plead with you, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, the victor over the grave, would you repent of your sin? Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ right now so that you can have the assurance of having Him for all of eternity? Would you? There's a scene in the Jungle Book. I'll close with this. Mowgli's asking, who's the most feared in the jungle? And the animals say, when two animals come across a narrow path, one steps to the side, and the one who doesn't step to the side is the one that's most feared. Well, what, well, what animal is that? Which one is it? And some said elephants, and some said lions, and then the wise owl said no. The one who is feared the most in the jungle is death because it steps aside for no one. Siggy's right. You're going to die. I'm going to die. And there's nothing we can do about it. That is a reality of life. But faith family, there's another reality. There is another reality that I am as certain of as I am death. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds my future. Life is worth the living just because He lives. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I realize this is a topic we don't often like to talk about, and yet there's no reason we can't talk about it. We have the good news of the gospel. We have a song about death, a song of deliverance, a song of promise that if we know Jesus, the victor over death, we will have victory over death. And so I, I just, I pray, God, you know the hearts of every person in this place this morning. There are some who are not ready because this isn't real. It's religion. It's going through motions, but it's not a real relationship with the one who died and rose again. I pray this morning that it would 
become real as they repent and turn their faith, turn their eyes towards Jesus Christ. There are others in this place and they're grieving. I've seen it already in the tears of so many who have come to me and just said, I needed this song. They're hurting. It may have been the loss of a loved one from five years ago and they're still dealing with that. Would you give them the freedom within the gospel to, to grieve and struggle and yet know that they know that they know that our gracious God is a deliverer. May they rest in you in the comfort of the gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.